This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. morning again. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, let's turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to continue our series this morning that we have called Promises, Promises. And last week we kicked it off and just looked at this idea from the scripture uh, that God we see in the Bible has a bunch of promises for us. And we should want to know what those promises are. We should want to be a part of the things that he has promised us, understand uh, what those promises are. So last week we, we started the series. If you missed it, uh, you can catch up online or through our podcast and also through our church app. You can listen to the message any of those ways. Um, just the idea that God gives us promises in the scripture. And the great thing about God giving promises that we know that God is good to his word, that God is powerful, that God is strong, and he is able to keep his promises. He doesn't struggle uh, with his flesh like we do sometimes to keep our promises. Uh, we know that, you know, sometimes we, we make a promise maybe to be somewhere or to do something, and then something happens that we maybe forget, or there's traffic, and then so we're late, and so we weren't able to fulfill the promise. But that is never the case with God. That God is able to fulfill his promises. And so we want to look in the scripture and understand what those promises are. So last week we kicked it off. Uh, We talked about it that that there's kind of promises in two different areas. And one of the areas is that God has a promise. Uh, There's ways that he wants us to act and ways that he wants us to live. Because the way that we act and live will have repercussions, whether good or bad. And the promises will go something like this. For those of us that are parents, maybe have children, we would say... To our kids, I know that you have a hard boss right now and you have a difficult situation at work, but I promise you, if you maintain a good attitude and you work hard and do your best, it'll pay off in the long run, I promise you. And then we would also say something like this. Hey, if you keep up with this attitude, this negative attitude, you're complaining all of the time and you're this and that and the other, you're doing, I promise you, there will be repercussions by how you act. And so we focused on this idea uh, last week that God actually wants us to walk in the promises. He's given us ways to live and there's promised uh, blessings as it relates to that. And we also uh, looked at this idea that we're able to decipher the promises of God based on John chapter 10, verse 10, uh, knowing that Jesus came, that we would have abundant life, that we would experience and understand what are the things from the personality, from the person, from the spirit of God, and not confuse those with d- the difficulties of life. So the word promise in and of itself means this. It's a declaration by one person to another that something will or will not be done, giving the person to whom it is made the right to expect the performance of whatever has been specified. That God has said some things. He's declared some promises over our life. And just like this word here, the the definition, we should expect the promises of God in our lives. And like I said, they kind of fit into two categories. Now, the other category that I didn't mention is this idea that God has promised us provision, things uh, that we need to live on a daily basis. And all of these things have come because of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that God has provided all that we need for life and for godliness. 
because of what Jesus has provided. Now, we're just singing there a song, Yes and Amen. Now, that phrase in that song is actually based on a scripture, and it's a scripture that we're going to read together this morning, and it's the scripture that I had uh, you turn to in 2 Corinthians chapter 1. And it reads like this. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me, Silas, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. So what he's saying, the gospel message is not yes and no. It's not maybe. It's not uh, some days God loves you and then other days he doesn't. And then some days God wants to save you and then other days he says no because you're such a bad person. No, that the gospel, that what they preached was always yes. And it says in verse 20, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. So no matter how many promises God has made in Christ, they are yes. And so through him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So God is telling us one of the things here in these verses that we see that God wants his promises to come to pass in our life because they actually give glory to him. God wants us to experience his promises because they give glory to him. They don't actually say anything about us and how good we are and how amazing we are. It is actually for the glory of God. Verse 20, let's read it again. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Everybody say yes in Christ. The promises of God are yes in Christ. Now, this is a very important distinction because it means they're not yes in me and what I've done and what I've accomplished. Because, you know, sometimes when you go through life and you live a certain way, there is the potential um, to think and to know how good of a person you are. And you, you might be educated and you might have some resources and you might be a good, fine, upstanding Canadian citizen citizen, and you do your best not to hurt anybody and you're nice to your neighbors and you shovel your sidewalk and you pick up your dog's poo because you're a good person. Now, sometimes we could go along in life and just think, you know what? I really am pretty good. I really, I'm a good guy. Just, I'm just kind of nice. I do all of these good things. And we could go along in life sometimes and just kind of think, you know what? I deserve stuff. I deserve, God, you know, and you've watched because you know everything. You know how good I am. You know how amazing I am. You know, such a good neighbor. I, you know that I shoveled my, shoveled my neighbor's sidewalk when they weren't in town. You just see how good I am. So because of all of this, I deserve fill in the blank. But the promises of God are not yes, because you're so awesome. They are yes in Christ. And then there's another way that we can get proud and arrogant or the potential is there for that when we do uh, seemingly religious things. Or, or we try to list, you know, I, I go to church and I serve at church and I give my tithes and offerings. And, you know, I, I read the Bible and I pray and I do all of these things. And then sometimes we can take all of those religious things and we think, well, you know, God, I do all of this. And didn't you see me at church last Sunday, God? And I sang really loud this morning. I sang yes and amen. And because I sang so loud and I'm at church today and I gave the offering this morning, certainly you're going to do the promises because of what I've done. The promises 
of God are not yes because you are able to fulfill religious expectations or ceremonial things. They are yes in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. And this is a great and wonderful thing to remember. Because the inverse of, of that, that idea of being arrogant, either within uh, your moral context or how good of a person you are or how good you are at being religious or what other people might say is religious. The inverse negative of that is, you know what, I am really a terrible person. And the thing that I did that was sin, that I promised God that I would never do again, I did it again. And because I did that thing again that I promised God that I never would do again, I don't deserve any of the promises of God. And shame and guilt covers your life and you just like, well, what's the point of praying? Because I don't deserve it anyway. But the promises of God are not based on your ability to fulfill religious laws or moral laws or ceremonial laws or, or church laws. The promises of God are yes in Christ. They are yes in Jesus. So it gives all of us the right to have this wonderful expectation that the promises of God, and they're not nothing to do with me. See, the arrogant part sometimes, I mean, they're both bad, but the arrogant part can sometimes become worse because you haven't humbled yourself and you haven't uh, considered the expectations. And I deserve this. See, when, you, when you're operating in sort of religious shame and guilt, you're kind of in the spot, well, I don't deserve it anyway. But when you think you deserve it based on the wrong thing, that's a kind of a worse place to be in. So it is the wonderful and the good news, and it's based on Jesus. That the promises of God to us, all of the promises, what are they? They're yes. They're not yes and no. They're not maybe. They're not, you know what, God got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. And God's having a bad day because of what's happening in, you know, uh, geopolitical situations in the Middle East. And God is struggling, and so he doesn't have any time for you. So he's spending all his time there. And so the promise today might be yes or no, we're not sure. No, the promise is yes in Christ. It's not yes or no. It's not wishy-washy. It's not back and forth. It is for us to know that it is yes in Christ. And then what does the next thing say? They are yes in Christ. And so through him, talking about Jesus, the amen is spoken by us. What does amen mean? It means so be it. So in Christ, the promises are yes. All the promises of God, which we're going to read a few here in a second. All the promises of God in Christ, not in me, not in my sufficiency, not in my goodness. And not, uh, and not, I'm not disqualifying myself because of my missteps. And the other thing is, we can't make a deal with God. You've, you've heard of foxhole prayers. What is a foxhole prayer? It's like, God, if you get me out of this situation... I promise I'll go to church. God, if you just get me out of this, I promise I'll be a good person. No, it's not based on foxhole prayers. It's only based on Christ. But then the amen is spoken by us, Scripture says. What is amen? So be it. And so I say, because he says yes to the promises in Christ, I say, for me in my life, I say, so be it. So I actually have something to say about the promises of God. What I say about the promises of God makes a big difference. What we'll see as we go through a bunch of scriptures today. What I say about the promises of God 
has a great deal to, to say whether or not I'm actually going to experience them. He says yes in Christ, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've done. But then the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. See, God wants these things. God wants the promises of God to come to pass in your life so that at the end of it, you will say, man, all glory to God. I have this thing. I'm experienced the promise of God. I have this uh, blessing that's come my way, not because I'm a great person, not because I'm educated, not because I'm wealthy. And it's not because I've um, ostracized myself from God. It's not because I'm full of shame that I've disqualified. No, no, I'm qualified in Christ. It's because of Christ that I experience the promises of God. Let's just read here the nature of some of the promises of God. Psalm 103. So this is what the promises of God sound like. Psalm 103, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. There is a benefit to knowing God and being in a relationship with God. Verse 3, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit. That's good news for us today. You ever found yourself in a pit? Difficult situation, physical situation. What, what is God saying? He redeems our life from the pit, crowns you with love and compassion. This is a promise of God. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle's. So we read there in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God are yes in Christ. So these words that we just read, this understanding of who God is, that the poetry that we see here in Psalms, these things are true in Christ. These are promises and God says to us, yes, we qualify for these things because... Of Jesus. Now, these are things that we want. I mean, what about this? Who satisfies your desire with good things? So we desire good things. We want good things for our lives. And this is something God is saying that he actually wants you to have good things. We talked about the abundant life last week. And then it says, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, how many of you like that promise? Anybody get tired sometimes in life? Even if you're young, someone's like, you know, it's just life is hard sometimes. It's difficult. Hey, there's a promise that God would renew our youth. So we want to experience that promise. We want to, should, and we should desire to have the things that God desires for us. So the question is how? How is it that we experience these promises? Now, last week we talked about obedience and doing the things God tells us to do. But here today, we're talking about these things that God actually gives provision for our life. In every sense of the word, the things that we need for life, nothing left out, God provides. So how is it that we receive these things from God? Now, sometimes if we talk about receiving from God, you know, some people um, have a problem with this idea and they, say, they would say something like this. You know, you, you can't turn God into a vending machine. You just can't put in a quarter prayer or a quarter faith and then, you know, God is forced 
to give you what you ask for. And you can't somehow twist God's arm. You know, you're, you're, you're trying to twist God's arm with your prayers. Now, let, let's think about this for a second. God is who he is. We're not turning God into anything. God actually is not a vending machine because he isn't a vending machine. So nobody by their prayers can turn God into a vending machine. So you don't need to defend God. Don't worry about it. No one is twisting God's arm to give them something that God doesn't want to give. And if God doesn't want to give you something, you're like, I'm going to pray and I'm just going to grab hold of God's arm in prayer and I'm going to pray so good and so eloquently God's going to be like, okay, I've never heard a prayer like that. Here you go. God is not going to do things based on that, but God actually will give us and wants us to experience and wants us to receive what he gives. Parents, any parents that, you know, if you, your children, if they're hungry, what do you do? What do good parents do when their children are hungry? You say, hey, we're going to provide you some food. Now, what if, what if your children sat down at the table and you put the food in front of them? And they said, you know, mom, I love you, but I'm not sure you want me to have this. You're like, what? What do you mean? I'm putting the food in front of you. I am giving it to you. It isn't based on you earning it because trust me, you haven't earned it. You haven't earned anything. Now I'm giving it to you out of my own goodness. It is my will to provide for you. What, is, what should the child do? The child should receive what the parents give. And so once again, we can only actually receive what God gives us. But we read there in 2 Corinthians, all the promises of God in Christ are what? Yes. God's not taking it back. So here, John the Baptist helps us to understand this idea. John chapter 3 Verse 26 is, then came John, then came to John and, and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you talking about Jesus on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, he is baptizing and everyone is going to him. In other words, John, the disciples are saying, you know, John, you're losing your ministry to Jesus. Everybody's going to Jesus now. And then he says this to this, John replied, a person can receive only what is given them from heaven. So we can only actually receive from God what he gives us. Prayer is not us twisting God's arm to give us something that he doesn't want us to have. We only can receive what he gives. So that's good news. God's not a vending machine. We're not going to force him into stuff. But the things that he's giving us, don't you think like good children who are hungry, we should receive what God gives? If God is giving it to us and saying, my promises to you are yes in Christ. And so we say, what do we say? So be it. We say, amen. We don't say, well, I'm not good enough. You know, I had a bad week. So, you know, I don't feel like I deserve the promises of God. No, you, you never deserved it. And it's good based on that because it's not based on you deserving it anyway. It's based on what? Christ. They're yes in Christ. 
So let's talk today about receiving the promises of God. James chapter 1, verse 5. Scripture helps us with this. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to how many? All. God gives wisdom to all. Does everybody walk in the wisdom of God? What's the answer? No, if you watch the news lately. And this is really the only thing we report. The people who are acting like idiots in our society, let's put them on TV. Everybody is not walking in the wisdom of God. So we actually have a part to play. If, we're, if we are going to walk in the promise of God, what is the promise? He gives wisdom to all. So we need wisdom for life. If any of you lacks wisdom, that's us. Let him ask of God who gives generously. He gives generously. This is a promise. Without reproach, he's not holding back, but that's what that means. And it will be given him. Good news. Promise. Love it. Verse 6. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea is driven and tossed with the wind. For that person. What person? The person who's driven with the wind. That person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his way. So here we read about a promise that God gives us wisdom and he gives it to everybody. It doesn't hold back. But what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to ask in faith. Ask believing. That's what the word faith means. But then there's an addendum. Ask believing. But hey, we don't want to be the type of person that's doubting all of the time. We don't want to be the type of person who's up and down all of the time. There's a great lesson here in this chapter. God gives it to us. What does he want us to do? He, want us to ask, he wants us to ask believing. But, hey, remember, if you're a doubter and you're up and down all of the time, don't let that person think he's going to receive anything from God. Why? Because what's happening to us in that moment, we're subject to everything that's going on around us. And we're giving our attention and we're allowing our moods and we're allowing our ability to receive from God to be based on circumstances. And circumstances will go up and down all of the time. Has anyone noticed this? Circumstances in your life, the circumstances in the economy, the circumstances in the political realm, they're up and down and there's this going on and that going on. And so what happens to us, we look at those things and we try to decipher the promises of God based on something we aren't experiencing. And then we would say, well, I guess God doesn't want me to have that because this here, this is happening. And so what's happening and uh, th this is going on and it's negative and it's difficult. So I guess God doesn't want me to have that promise. No, that's up and down. How does he want us to ask? He wants us to ask in faith, believing. So the believing is my part. God provides the promises. And in Christ, they are yes. My part is the believing part. That's the faith that we just read there in James chapter 1. Now, believing means this. It means confidence. That I'm going to have faith in God. I'm going to have confidence in God. That what? He said he gives wisdom to all and he doesn't hold back. I'm going to have confidence in that. 
I'm not going to have confidence in the circumstances. The circumstances are going to be up and down. I'm not going to have confidence in my moods. My moods are going to be up and down. I'm going to have confidence that the promises are yes in Christ. They're not based on me. So I can have confidence in the fact that God gives me wisdom. So what should I do as a good child of God? I receive that wisdom, God. I'm not looking at the circumstances to decide if I'm going to receive from the wisdom of God. I'm not going to look at the fact that I maybe have made a bad decision or two. That I've done this stupid and I've done this wrong and I've done this situation. So, you know, I guess I don't deserve it. And I'm just a person who makes bad decisions. Well, stop. And receive from God the wisdom that you need. Why? Because he's not holding back. He wants you to have confidence in him. That he gives you wisdom. What's going to keep us from that wisdom? Double-mindedness. Unstable in all your ways. Now, if you feel like that's you this morning, I'm not heaping guilt on you. I'm not trying to make you feel condemned. But what we want to do is we want to do the word of God. If you are that person that's up and down. Oh, I trust God for a moment, but then something happens and then I give up on the whole thing. Now, let's ask God in faith. So how is it that I get stable? How is it that I move away from this person who's, uh, you know, up and down all of the time? So God wants us to have confidence. He wants us to believe. Here's another definition of the word believe. It says to have, it says to accept as true. Accept as true that God gives wisdom to all. That's good news. And that promise is yes in Christ, even when I've had a bad week, even when I've made a mistake, that I accept that it's true. The promises of God are yes. It says to have a firm conviction as to the goodness, efficacy, or ability of something or someone. That I have confidence in the goodness of God, that in him, the promises, that in Christ, the promises to me, what are they? They're yes. And so what do I say? So be it. I want to agree with God. I just don't want to agree with my circumstances because my circumstances are going to fluctuate. My feelings are going to fluctuate. But I want to agree and I want to experience the promises of God. So my part is the believing part. Matthew chapter 9. Let's read a story here from Jesus' ministry. Matthew chapter 9, verse 27. It says, And he passed by on from there. Two blind men followed him, crying aloud, Have mercy on a son of David. When he entered the house, the blind men came to him and said, Jesus, uh, and, and Jesus said to them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Don't you love this question? I love this question. Jesus asked the people that need something. This is us, right? We need something from God. What do we need? We need the promises of God in our lives. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Do you believe that I can do this? Well, well, I, I sort of do, God. I mean, I sort of believe this, but, you know, it's been like this for a really long time. This it has been like this. It's been like this for a really long time. 
And I guess, I believe, I don't know, the pastor says to have faith. But I guess, I believe, I'm not sure. Because it's just really hard sometimes. Because life is really hard sometimes, isn't it? Do you think these, peop- these guys are having a hard life? Yeah, they're blind. It's a hard life. Jesus asked them a question. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? See, this is what it comes back to. It comes back to our trust in God. Not just, not just faith as a principle or as a thing, as some just nebulous idea out in the ozone. It is actually faith, faith in the personality of God. Do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said to him, yes, Lord. Then he touched their eyes saying, according to your faith, be it done to you. And their eyes were opened. Whose faith? Whose faith? The blind guys. Not even Jesus. According to your faith, Jesus said to the blind guys who are about to get healed, according to your faith, be it unto you. James 1. We just read it. How are we going to experience the wisdom, to, the wisdom of God who gives liberally to all his wisdom? Well, it's going to be according to our faith. Whether we experience that wisdom because he's, he's giving it, he's offering it to us. Well, I don't deserve it and I'm not sure. Had a bad week, having a rough life. The question comes again, do you believe that I'm able to do this? They said, yes, Lord. And then what Jesus say, according to your faith. Now, we know it was the power of God that healed their eyes. But what was the thing that Jesus gave the credit to? And by giving the credit to their faith, he's giving us a lesson about life. According to your believing. It's going to make a big difference. What do, we, what do we not want to be? We don't want to be the unstable person, the double-minded person. Why? Because that person shouldn't think they're going to receive anything from God. It's not that God hasn't given it, because he's given it. And he said yes in Christ. But he wants us to move away from instability. He wants us to move from up and down living. I trust God today and had a bad day, so I'm stopping. I'm not going to trust God today. Church was good today. They sang my favorite song, so I'm putting my trust in God. They didn't sing my favorite song. I don't trust God. We've got to move away from that. What is the question? Do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord. I add my amen to your yes. Mark chapter 11 verse 20 says, As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away in its root. Previously in the chapter, Jesus had cursed this fig tree. Verse 20, And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. This is the best advice you will ever get. This idea, this notion... Have faith and have confidence in God. Have confidence in the person, the one who gives you his promises. Not, not politics and certainly not politicians. Not uh, economic stability because it will be unstable sometimes. 
not in people because people love you and they will hate you and you might never see them again. But what are we going to do? We're going to have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and be thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Whatever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Now, I added this because I want you to know that this thing that I'm talking about today is not an abracadabra. It's not a magic thing that Jesus is talking about an integrated life. What he's saying here in this whole context is that God wants us to put our trust in him, but we can't hate people and be unforgiving to people and detest people and then say, but God, I trust you for this. No, we need to be integrated. We need to live an integrated life. We can't hate people and then try to wave an abracadabra wand of faith and have God give me what I want. That it all goes together. The promises that I talked about last week and these promises that I'm talking about this week, it all goes together. So you can't disdain your spouse and hate them and be angry and be mean all of the time and be the worst spouse ever and say, but God, I love you. I trust you for this. No, it doesn't work like that. Side note for everybody. So the question is, here it says, um, you believe it will be done for him. It will be done if we pray and believe. It will be done. So the struggle is for us, the question right after that is, when? Does anyone ever struggle with when? Because when is our measurement of when the promises of God should be experienced in our life? When do we want it? Now. That's the only time frame that we have. Is right now. That's when we want it. We want it right now. Now, let me illustrate something for you. How many of you are parents out there? Okay, if you, if you, if, if you have the resources to do this, and when your child turns 16, what is looming when they turn 16? Driver's licenses, cars, responsibility, a thousand other things. Praying as they leave the house. If you're... If the whole life of your child, they have displayed disregard for everything that they've owned. And they've broken everything that they own. And they're just kind of not good with hand-eye coordination. And they turn 16, and you have the resources to do it. And they go, and they get their permit. Do you go out and buy a brand new $40,000 car and be like, here you go, do whatever you want? Is that what you do? No, you would be foolish. You would be unwise to do so. Even when you have the resources to do it. Sometimes my kids ask me for things and I have the resources to do it, but I say no because this isn't the right time for that. Do we think God would know when we need to experience what he wants us to have? 
So this is what we need to trust him with. We need to trust him for the promises, but then we also need to trust him for the timing beyond right now. Because right now is the only measurement. See, we struggle with time. God doesn't. God is outside of time. And God has the wisdom to know when we should experience the things that we haven't experienced yet, but are still in his promises. Something, you know, for my family that happened last year. That was, you know, about 10 years or so. That's a decade, people. 10 years or so, kind of like being in a situation and trying to figure a way out and trying to work through something. And, you know, sometimes when trying to work through something, it gets frustrating. Has anyone ever experienced that? And it's difficult. You don't know what to do and this and that and the other. And then just last year, it all changed. And this blessing came our way. It had to do with the form of a bunch of things, partly wisdom. Where it was like, a couple years before, I was like, I don't see any way out of this. Now, when would I have liked it? Ten years ago? Yeah. Would have been way better. A decade of suffering. A decade of difficulty. But we experienced it last year. And so what in that moment, when you experience it, you're not like, well, I wish it was eight years ago or seven years ago. No, we're like, glory to God. Thank God for that. <laughs> See, and that's the thing we need to remember. I'm putting my trust in God, but I'm also putting my trust in God for the timing. Because even though we think we're awesome and we know that we think we need it now and deserve it now and should have it now, maybe God's looking at us like that irresponsible 16-year-old. And be like, yeah, yeah, hang on. Now let me just take a moment and insert this. Single people. It's better to wait for the one that God has for you than to rush out and get a car that God never intended for you. I'm not talking about cars. <laughs> well, this is taking longer. I, I, when I was 14, I said I should be married by 21. Because 21 is the perfect age to get married. Because you said, you said that when you were 14, because you knew everything when you were 14. So you made this age. And then the age passed by in the distance. And you're like, I need a car. <laughs> it's better to wait. Any married people out there? Marriage is not going to solve your problems. If I could just get married, my life would be so much better. <laughs> See, this is married people laughing, single people. It will, it will solve all of my problems if I am married. Single people want to get married. Married people want to get single again. Better to wait and find the one that ha God has for you. Otherwise, you wind up with a car that's got issues. 
So not only we trust God for the promises, but we trust him for the timing. See, we don't measure time like God does. Second Peter chapter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. We don't measure time the way God measures time. See, we, we, we worship in a building that the dream for the building took 20 years to be realized. Well, why did it take 20 years and wouldn't it have been better 19 years ago? Blah, blah, blah. Our wisdom, right? Our, our wisdom is no good as it relates to timing. When you walk in the thing that God has given you, when you walk in the promise that God has given you, the time won't matter. The time doesn't matter. But what we're doing is we're putting our trust in God. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises. Some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Matthew chapter 6, verse 31. It says, therefore, do not be anxious saying. See, we read there Mark 11. And Jesus said that, if, you know, the mountain, not actually talking about a physical mountain, but something that's in your way, something that's blocking your way, a difficulty, a struggle. What would we do to that mountain? Well, we would say something and we would believe something. And then here, don't be anxious saying. Here's a big clue for us. Your words are huge. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, Scripture says. Your words direct your life. Now, your words can direct you into the promises of God. Or your words, like we read in James 1, unstable in all your ways. Don't let that person think they're going to receive anything from God, even though God intended for you to have it. Don't, don't take the anxiousness saying. See, we, we can go through our whole lives just be... Everything that we say, I'm afraid, I'm afraid about this. I'm afraid, of, I'm afraid I won't find somebody. I'm, I'm afraid I'll never get out of debt. I'm, a, I'm afraid about how my kids are going to turn out. And my wife and I have watched this sadly. We did youth ministry for about 13 years. And we would have parents that would be, I'm afraid that, that my daughter's going to do this. And I'm, I'm afraid that they're going to, and we're going to like, hey, just trust God. And all of the fears that the parent uttered, the child did. I mean, this is serious business. What you say? Faith-filled words, anxious words. Even like that, it shows you, it takes your life in two different directions. Anxious, afraid, anxious, afraid, repeating the circumstances, looking at the circumstances, down, negative I'm going to put my trust in God. One year down. I'm going to put my trust in God. Two years down. I'm going to put my trust in God. Jesus talked about faith-filled words. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? What are we going to do? What are we going to do? I don't know what to do. What are we going to do? I don't know what to do. 
God gives wisdom to all, and he doesn't hold back. Ask in faith. I don't know what to do doesn't sound like asking in faith. Stop saying, I don't know what to do. I mean, you got to say the same amount of words anyway. Use your words for good purposes. I don't know what to do. I trust you, God, for wisdom. You're talking anyways. Why not trust God for what you need? What are you going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God, God's way of doing things. What is God's way of doing things? You having faith in him. You having faith in him. Why? Because he's already done it for you. He's made provision for you in Christ. All the promises are yes. What's left for me today? What's left for me to say? I say amen to the promises. Not what am I going to do? What am I going to wear? What am I going to eat? I'm going to do the kingdom things and all these things will be added to you. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. So how do we maintain our faith in this place? This place where we're waiting and we're putting our trust in God and his timing. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Sounds like James 1, doesn't it? Hold fast the confession of our hope. Hope doesn't mean just a wish. Hope means a confident, joyful expectation. A joyful expectation. Not a sad, I don't know what to do. Not a, oh, life is really bad and it's really hard for me. It's worse than everybody else. Man, your words are carrying your life somewhere where you don't want to go. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. We're putting our trust in God, the one who provides and the one who knows the best time for the provision. He's the one I put my trust in. Not in the circumstances, not in politicians, not in economic stability, not in the stability of my career as I could see in this moment. My trust is in God. And I'm going to hold fast. I'm going to hold on to confession. What is confession? Words is what you say. What does hope sound like? What does hope in God sound like? And it's not something you have to say for your friends at, at, at at work or your family. It's not words that you have to say at church to try to present, pretend how spiritual you are. That's not the point. It's, it's really in your bed at night when, when you want to say, what am I going to do tomorrow? I don't actually know what I'm going to do. You ever had a day like that? I have. Those are hard days. Those are hard, sleepless nights. But in that moment, I would rather choose hope that God is telling me that not let go of words of hope. Why? Because he is faithful who promised. He is faithful who's promised. Jesus said, 
have faith in God. I'm going to put my trust in God. And I'm going to live in this place of joyful expectation. Man, this is the way to live. And your words open you up to the promises of God. Even that posture. God, my hope is in you. As opposed to, what am I going to do? What what am I going to, look at this. Look what they're doing. Look what they're saying. Look at my bank account. Look at my body. Look at this situation. Look at this struggle. Completely different life posture. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, it says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Joyful expectation. Why do I have a joyful expectation? Why would I get up tomorrow with a smile on my face in the middle of difficulty? Because I have faith. I have confidence in God. Faith is the assurance. Not everything being perfect in my life, that's the assurance. No, 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 faith. Faith in God. Faith in God who says to you, His promises are yes in Christ. So I get up every day and I can have that joyful expectation. Why? I got faith in God. I got my trust in God. Last thing, Romans chapter 4, skip one verse, guys. says this. This is talking about Abraham. 25 years in the place where God had called them and they still hadn't seen the promise. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. What was an unbelief? Well, he was 99 and his wife was 90 and they were supposed to have a baby. There could be a little unbelief creeping in there. But what happened? Uh, No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in faith, in his faith, as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God is able to do what he's promised to you. And thank God all of his promises to you all of them that affect every every area of your life what are they in Christ they are yes and we say amen let's just pray this morning God we are so thankful for your promises today thanks for listening if you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you please email info at thecitychurch.ca